Runners Radio is brought to you by runners.com and the Runners Red Zone. It's the only running coaching platform you will ever need. There's no thinking, no planning. We do all of that. Just put us in your ears and away you go. 45-minute quality running sessions, strength and conditioning for anyone, yoga and much, much more. If you're wanting to take minutes off your PB, run a marathon or just beginning your running journey, then head on over to runners.com. That's R-U-N-N-E-Z.com and get started. Rightio, let's get on to the show. G'day and welcome to Runners Radio. I'll tell you what, what a guest to finish off the year with. The bronze medalist from the 2018 Com Games in the 800. He's at a 2016 Olympian. He has been a two world champs and he's only just beginning. He's a good Victorian, which we love as well. Lukey Matthews, I welcome you to the show, brother. Hey, mate. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on and giving up your time. Um, late at night here in Melbourne, we really appreciate you having a chat. Um, just a casual chat with Lukey because he is one of the more laid back and genuine uh, people in athletics, which I think he endears himself to many. But you've done so much already and you're only 25 just turned this year, which which is crazy um, to me because you feel like you've been around for a long time. You you've, you've really are a big racer, a big race um, tactician, and you really go – you really are there when the whips are cracking in five or six big championship meets probably instantly would come to mind of people. But I'll tell you what, we'll get into methodology and training and, and your love for the sport. You're a true student, but just take us right back to the beginning in the Western suburbs of Victoria here in Australia, buddy, and where it all began, the love for running. And I know you've got a very tight knit family group and friendship group. So take us through all that first, and then we'll get to the big stuff. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I think I think uh, I, I really like talking about my progression in in the sport because I feel like my progression is is pretty relatable, and I um, kind of went through pretty much every every step of athletics. So you know, so I started off when I was real young. Uh, I always grew up in the western suburbs of Melbourne, so up until the age of eleven, I was actually living in the in the far west of Werribee. And yeah, when I was young, started off you know, just as any normal kid did, did my little athletics. And then I was also pretty passionate about footy as well at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, from when I was 11, I was, you know, I was good enough to, to win like a club BNF. And then I was also good enough to, you know, you know, represent um, my little, like little athletics club at um, state championships, make nationals and stuff like that. So, yeah, from pretty young age, I was, I was relatively talented, but, um, you know, there wasn't such thing as puberty when you were 10, 10 or 11 years old. Um, but yeah, that, that pretty much stayed the same throughout, uh, did footy and athletics, you know, kind of all the way up until I was about 16 and throughout that time, you know, dabbled in more school stuff, did some, uh, I phased out of athletics, did the, um, athletics Victoria stuff. And so I was doing that on a Sunday and then on a Sunday I was uh, usually playing footy for my local club. Uh, and then when it was about, when I probably hit about year 10, I kind of had a, a, a sit down with mum who, and mum's always kind of been a, you know, a bit of a foundation in, in my, not so much just my, my life, well, not so much just my sporting life, but my life as a whole. Uh, she was, I kind of sat down and just said, look, I think my goal is to eventually get drafted uh, over, over being hopefully in a, an Olympian or something like that. And so, yeah, for about six months, I kind of gave footy a crack and that took me up until the start of 2012, which was the year that I was turning 2012, uh, turning 17. Uh, I made the uh, 20. I made the the uh, under 18 uh, Western Jets TAC Cup. Uh, was that was it Cup side at the time, and then made that, and that was in about March of of 2012. And it would have been the, the last practice game before the season started. I was playing against the Colder Cannons against, you know, I think I was playing against like Joe Danaher and and people like that. And I remember just being on the ground, just thinking, I do not want to do this anymore. So that was. That was me when I was, what, 16 years old. Um, and, yeah, pretty much not, not long after, I called the uh, regional manager, spoke to all the coaches and said, no, nah, I don't want to do it anymore. And I decided to go along. I started, decided to go back to athletics. And then, you know, fast forward two years later, uh, till 2012, I made the World Juniors. Fast forward to 2016, made the Olympics. And then that kind of started, started me on until the, 
into the professional athletics career. There's obviously um, a few more stories along the way, but that's kind of the uh, kind of the um, the shortened version. I pretty much I feel like I just saw yeah. feel like I saw everything from little athletics state championships all the way up to the Olympics. I was going to say you glossed over it very quickly, so we'll go back just a few things. Firstly, for the guys overseas or in a state, I guess uh, the TAC Cup and now NAB League is is the ultimate in under 18 football. It is the pathway to playing professional Aussie rules here. So it is the best of the best, uh, the best young 16, 17, 18 year old kids in the country. So, and Western Jets are uh, the best club in that region. So uh, Luke has been recruited to there. And especially as a bottom age player, if you're getting, uh, making that list, you, you, you're very confident of at least going on with your footy in some capacity. So that's that number one, buddy. Uh, number two, yes, you glossed over it very quickly. You were only four years removed from a bloody under 18 footy to a very successful 2016 Olympics and Rhodesia and that we'll talk about later, but let's go back. Now we always talk about not specializing for our younger guys. I know how um, entrenched your mum is in the junior athletic scene and she's one of the great junior distance running coaches there is, um, but not specializing. It clearly helped you from a social view because you're, you're one of the more well-rounded speakers, articulate. You can talk to anyone. You can have conversations about anything. Um, there's no way that happens if you're um, just nose to the grindstone as a distance runner your whole life. So um, tell us about some of the advantages, I guess, of not specialising so early. Um, and clearly, clearly you came out of it um, in, a, in a good state because, yeah, you, 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 you did so well in 16 and you've had a great four seasons since and it's only the beginning, as we said at the start. Uh, yeah, so I think, I think the way that I approached – well, I think the good thing about uh, – Victoria, and I assume this is a, a, across the whole country, is that little athletics in Victoria, they, you know, you're not, as soon as you get there in under sixes, you're not pigeonholed into one event. You don't decide if you're a distance runner or a shot putter or whatever it might be. So from when I was a young kid, I, I kind of dabbled in all events and I did, yeah, you know, your discus, your hurdles, your 70 metres, and then I'd also do cross country and, and 800 metres and stuff like that. So for me personally, I feel like it was, it was, uh, it was just getting, a good experience across all aspects of, of uh, track and field. And, you know, it probably wasn't until I was about 11 or 12 years old, I kind of realized that I was a lot better, uh, say, than the other kids, but also a lot better at distance running than I was at the sprinting. Uh, but I still remember even, even you know, when I was, you know, how old would I have been? Even as, as, as late as 12 or 13 years old, I, I remember there was one championships where I did the 70, 70 meters in the 200s on the Saturday. And then on the Sunday, I did the 1500. So I still dabbled in it for a, for a fair way through little athletics. And I think it was a good thing. I think it was a good thing, which made me realize is that doing everything, it kind of makes you realize what you enjoy the most. And, you know, not even to kind of make that just about athletics. I think if you're a young kid, just trying to work out what sport you enjoy or not even sport, whether it's a subject or school or something like that, you have to kind of experience everything and get an understanding of what's actually out there to realize what you enjoy the most. And, you know, I even think about that now, like I even think about like my uni degree, I originally wanted to do accounting and then I, I started to kind of experience a few more things in that kind of business world. And then I realized that I didn't actually like accounting at all. And now I'm doing a finance major. So I think, uh, I think it's a, a good, you know, if you're, if you're a young kid in sport, try everything. Cause I think it's a, it gives you a good foundation and, um, a good foundation to approaching life when you when you become an adult. Super. And we talk about that. Look, definitely amazing for life and life skills and general connection with human beings. But if, if you feel it from a performance point of view as well, a neurological point of view, um, neurological coordination, all those things, and the, the robustness it builds, moving in multi-planes, so you're not just moving in one plane of motion, all those things is, is unbelievable. So you're going to be a far better athlete at 16, 17 if you're – that you do every event, every field event, you play footy, basketball, netball. Obviously, you got to make sure you don't hit the point of diminishing returns, but have a go at everything, um, especially if you're a mum or dad listening when you've got youngsters who are keen to play everything. Obviously, we don't want to force them into it, but if they're keen to play three sports, if we can do it, we can. I think it's really good. And for distance runners and middle distance guys, it's crucial as well. The, the, uh, the payoff, it will pay you back in spades. And and like Luke is still getting paid back now at twenty five from from those junior days at it. Uh, what little last club was that, buddy? Uh, I, junior was uh, Werribee and then Altona. So Altona. When I, I mean, moved, I moved. 
I moved to Newport or Newport Williamstown in when I was ten or eleven years old, and then I then I moved over to um Altona. So we'll get to we'll get to Liz later on, but was Liz coaching then in the juniors? Your mum, your lovely mum. Oh, I I just had a junior coach back then. Uh, just yeah, but no, mum mum took over when I was maybe sixteen or seventeen, and yeah. then she coached me until I was about nineteen twenty, and then she took over again when I was about twenty three. So yeah, had a had a couple coaches, but. Uh, yeah, I think we might get him to start a little later too. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon we might. Great man. Tell us about that period, say 2013, 14, I know World Juniors and that. Did you know that the mile, or the middle distance was your go at that time? Um, we don't want to pigeonhole you because you've got another 10, 15 years at elite level in the sport either. But in that period, why did you know that 815 was the go? Why not longer, I guess, is the question. Did you think, no, this is my go, this is my wheelhouse for at least the next little period? Uh, I think probably maybe from year seven, year eight onwards, I realised that uh, the fifteen hundred and the three k were probably my my my, my stronger events, uh, and you know I kind of did those every year at all schools or um, uh, the the state championships every year, and when, then I obviously had that you know kind of twelve months or however long it was playing football where I didn't really have a track season or anything like that, but then when I came back kind of tail end of 2012 and then that was when I was year 11 going into 20, uh, into year 12, uh, I just kind of, you know, picked up where I left off and that was kind of, yeah, having a good crack at the, the 1500 and the three K. And, uh, I think, I suppose what made me realize was that, you know, I was able to just hold my own. I was actually able to go pretty well in a 1500. Um, the biggest thing in 2012 was one of the, one of the huge things, which I suppose was a, a little bit of a, deciding factor in me going back to athletics was uh, they just announced where the world juniors are going to be. And it was in, it was at the university of Oregon. And that's kind of like the hub of distance running, you know, in, in the world. And when, when they kind of announced that it was, you know, also this other sweet kind of moment to think that I, if I do go back, I'll hopefully able to go to this championships. And yeah, I think, yeah. So when I, when I kind of got back running, you know, middle of 2012 uh, to the tail end, I, you know, that's kind of what I wanted to set my goals to. And those, and, you know, I thought that my biggest chance was that I was going to qualify for the 1500, you know, kind of fast forward to the start of 2013. And I remember one of my first races of the year, I ran a 1500 and I ran uh, 345 for 1500 as a, as a 17 year old. And I did a race up in Tasmania racing against a lot of the, you know, kind of the elite senior guys at the time. And I ended up beating, I ended up beating all of them bar one. And mum was like, oh, okay, you know, maybe we've got something to work with here. And then I remember a week later, um, I never really thought of myself as, a, as an 800-meter runner. I ended up running 151. And I thought, okay, well, this is this is pretty handy too. So, you know, I've got a – I'm pretty handy at both events. And then from then onwards, um, you know, the 3K and stuff like that kind of, you know, went into the, went into the rearview mirror. Uh, I think the biggest – so even at that point, I still rated myself as a 1,500-meter runner. I think the biggest thing for me was that, you know, I went to an APS school, so I went to St. Kevin. So uh, I, we have the big APS athletics championships every year. And uh, because I was there, you know, for my athletics, I kind of obviously had to, I had a fair bit of responsibility for that APS athletics day because, you know, all the distance events were kind of relied upon on me. And I remember leading into that APS athletics, there was one guy who was going really, really well. And he was going really well at the 800. And, you know, I, once again, I was always thought of myself as a 1500 meter runner. I thought that's what I'll, you know, that's what I'll do at the, hopefully at the world juniors. I went out at the APS athletics, which would have been October, 2013. And I came out and my PB at the time was 141. I came out and ran 148, broke the APS record. And then I also was a second under the world junior qualifying time. And then uh, I went, I ended up deciding to go to the world juniors for the 800 meters and then, from then onwards, that's when it kind of, I kind of just got pigeonholed into the 800 and the 1500. But I love those events so much, and I love watching them so much, and I just think that they're two of the best events on the track. So I'm, I'm really good. I'm, I'm really glad that I'm, 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 I'm uh, good at two events that I actually am passionate about. Oh, mate, they're the best, and they're blue ribbon as well. Like cross. I don't think like for those of us not endowed with as much speed as yourself to drop a. 52 second quarter at the end, but um, you, you, you're able to pull off that kind of stuff. And it is, it's the mile, there's something mystique and the metric mile and the 800 as well, the pain that you guys have to go through. And I guess on that kind of stuff, some of your tactics, well, it's it's not 
um, it's common knowledge that the 800 and the 15 are the two of the most painful um, events in world sport. So give the listeners some of your tactics, I guess, into what, where do you take yourself leaning into the actual agony, leaning into the suffering and just embracing the suffering? Because if you don't want to suffer and hurt, then you can't run your two events. Yeah. So for the, my kind of tactics for the 800 and 1500 are, are completely different. Um, because I think for me personally, I, uh, I'm, I'm always one that struggled a little bit with, uh, with focus. So focus and I, and I really struggle with my nerves as well. So for me, I try to simplify it as much as possible. So when I'm on the start line, I just think to myself, all right, it's just two minutes of pain or it's just four minutes of pain or it's just two laps of the track or it's three and three quarter laps of the track. So it's, uh, I think they're good because they're, you know, they're digestible distances where you don't have to overthink too much. Like for example, if I was to run a 5k or a 10k, knowing that I've got 12 and a half or 25 laps, I'd be, you know, I think going absolutely crazy. Uh, so yeah, for me personally, the, the 800 is, it's always one event. It's, it's usually pretty filled with a lot of people with, you know, a lot of leg speed and a lot of less speed over 400 meters. So for me personally, my own, my only real worry is that first hundred meters. So I just try to get out as hard as I can. And I, I know if I'm in a good position by 200 meters that I'm, I'm going to go pretty good because I'm usually pretty good on my back half. So for me personally, in an 800, my, my goal is to try you know just just get to the front as quickly as possible and then when i get to a good position just maintain and hold and then with about 250 to go i just try to honestly go as hard as i can and then i uh i I like to run scared a fair bit and you know i don't know whether it's because i used to get nervous when i was younger or whatever it might be just whenever i get to the front i just try to go as hard as i can and in australia a lot of the people always joke that my tactic is you know to go with 250 to go and just don't look back and that's that's pretty much what i do um so that's kind of one tactic that I've pretty much stayed with and it's, it keeps working for me. So I don't know, maybe I need to think of a new tactic. And then the 1500 it's uh, because I do have a fair amount of leg speed from the 1500, uh, sorry, in the, from the 800 going into the 1500, I don't need to worry about too much, you know, getting out as hard. So for me personally, I just get out. Yeah. Just as, as well as I can. And I try to stick in the top three, top two to three as much as I can. And then I always say to mum, um, with mum being my coach at the moment, I just say, I'm just going to, whenever I feel ready to go somewhere in the last lap, I'm just going to just go for it and, and not look back. So there's been times where I've gone with 300 to go. There's been times where I've gone with 200 to go. And then there's been times where I've literally gone to the top of the straight. So uh, tactics, yeah, I feel like I've got a pretty cookie cutter approach to uh, to whatever it might be. And then on the world stage, it's, I don't know, it's a little bit different. you got to, you got to just be open-minded on the world stage. You got to worry about, you know, not being on the inside, not because in Australia it's, it's, you know, if you're usually in the top few, you kind of have a little bit more lead way. You can kind of push your way in a little bit better, but when you get on the world stage, nobody gives a shit whether you're, whether you're some bloke from, uh, from Altona growing up or whether you're a, whether you're a Kenyan from, um, from, from Africa. So it's, it's pretty tough, but uh, in Australia it's, I've worked out how to race well in Australia. Uh, when I get to America and Europe, I'm, I don't know. Oh, I'm, mate. I still got, a, I still got, a, still got a bit of learning to go. I think you're still a pup, Lukey, for one, and for two, you've you've been quoted before, and I love this. Um, and you say you really don't want to fall into that short-sighted mentality of just beating the Gregsons, the Ramsdens, uh, and the other milers or the Bowls or and these guys because you, once you beat them, you you want to make sure you can go right through. And, and beat the Europeans, the Kenyans, and the Americans. And I love that because um, we, we have got a, an absolute magnitude of, of really good middle distance and distance guys at the moment and the blokes I just named among them. Um, and you're not just worrying about beating them. Of course, you want to beat them every summer, uh, Australian summer, and then continue on through Europe and the European summer because we can't – if you're worrying about just beating them – then um, unfortunately your ceiling's going to be pretty bloody low. But you've said that a few times, I think, and it's a great attitude and it's what world beaters have and it's what Mottram used to have and, and a few of the best um, have to have, unfortunately, because you can't you can't be worrying about this little island over here. As good as we are, we're a pretty good nation of distance running. Um, we're still an island over here. So tell, tell us more about that, I guess, trying to um, graduate from you've, – you've won three or four national titles. You've, you've beat the best there is to beat here um, and then – stepping up uh, we, we'll talk about the olympics in a minute but stepping up and and racing against blokes like yeah the inga britsons the radishas and these kind of guys 
Yeah, well, I think I think that uh, there's definitely a bit of short-sightedness of you know of Australians just wanting to beat Australians, um, and you know I, I'm not going to say that I haven't been involved in that thinking before, but I think now going forward, it's just you know Australia is a is a small country, and realistically, if I'm worried about just beating one person or two piece people at national championships and not thinking about the long goal ahead, then I don't think I'm going to go too well if I end up making the team or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you know, kind of the approach that Mottram used to take back in the day was that just try to get through the Australian season just, you know, kind of with the least amount of effort possible, beat who you have to beat, and then, you know, try to take it to the to the next goal when you get overseas. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it, it is a good... It is, it is really good. That is a really good approach to take. But at the same time, you know, with, with the current shop of Australian athletes, they're just getting better and better and better. So you kind of, it's, it's kind of got to be this, uh, this two thought process where it's like, you know, you've got to beat these guys, but there's also going to be a whole slew of athletes when you get overseas that are just going to be better and better. But, but yeah, I think that's the good thing about, um, about racing in Europe and America and um, is that, you know, you, you race against, well, the good thing about racing in Australia is because you're racing in Australia all the time, you race at nationals, you kind of know what you're going to get. You kind of know where people are at and, um, you know, you got to go to, got to get, you get a good understanding of who's going to be going well at the national championships. But then when you get overseas, you also get a good understanding as well, because, you know, there's a race on every couple of nights. There's sometimes a race on every night of the week. And, uh, when you get over there, you realise that if I'm just worried about, yeah, Ramsden, Gregson, Peter Bowl, Joseph Deng, then, you know, you, you, there's so many more people. You know, you can go into a race and you can go into a race in Europe and it could be in the bloody, the back, some terrible suburb in France or Belgium and you've got an Olympic, Olympic final, you know, quality uh, standard. So, um yeah, I don't know. So it's 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 a tough one, and I think yeah, I think just going back to the original point, there's a lot of people that get very short-sighted and worried just about the Australian athletics. But you just have to realise that you know there is hundreds and hundreds of Africans and Europeans that are that are out to to beat people just like us, and you know go well at the Olympics as well. I wanted to I wanted to mention that because you you would have said that at 23, 22, 20. So you, you're such a young fella to be already thinking the big game is is I guess giving the listeners an insight into your personality as well, um, just refuses to um, to go anywhere anywhere less than the best, and wants to race the best in the world. Speaking of the best in the world, the mecca is Oregon and Eugene. How was that as a young fella? Because um, Haywood Field, it would be a pretty special place for a 17, 18 year old young fella from Melbourne. Yeah, it was incredible. We, I, I went to, yeah, I went there for the World Juniors in twenty fourteen. So it was my first year out of school. I think I just turned 19 when I was there um yeah it's awesome we it was a month-long trip so we did two weeks in uh, Vancouver Canada raced over raced over there a couple times and then went over to Oregon and um yeah it was awesome I mean University of Oregon as a place is just you know it's yeah it's, it's kind of the place that yeah you read about and you watch videos at and that's where all the professionals train and it's just it's absolutely incredible um and then racing as well, you know, it's it's one of the uh, I think it's one of the best tracks in the world. Um, but I but as well as that, like it was just a cool experience just to just to wear the Australian strip for the first time and be on an Australian team and race against Kenyans and Ethiopians and Europeans and stuff like that. So it was yeah, it was a really cool experience. So I was fortunate enough to race there another two times in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. So I uh, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure how international travel is going to work over the next few years. But if uh, I ever get the opportunity to race there again, I'll be putting my hand up straight away. I'm sure you will many times. Um, the pre classic each year is is a pretty big event when they can get that back up and going. Um, hundred percent. Look, that that for the young bloke when you were tossing up between uh, Aussie rules and and athletics to go to the mecca that Bowmans and Dallingers and Prefontaines and and um, Kenny Moores and these kind of guys, um, and obviously the current crop as well, the Centros and all those guys. Obviously, um, it's pretty, it's pretty cool, and that that would have cemented you, I guess. Apart from the fact you were pretty bloody good at the sport, and you knew you had a big future, that that just cemented it. And said, well, I've made the right decision here, um, and then you're only two years away from an Olympiad, 
Um, and I guess it's a pretty good spot to pick up, mate. Just take us through that next 24 months. Um, I guess you're training and, and when you, that, that March period, when you had that amazing result that um, I'll, I'll let you take us in through that, I reckon, because um, it's better than me talking about it. So take us through that. And then on onwards to Olympic village, I guess we'll have a pause then. Uh, yeah. So I think the, you know, I, I suppose the, I suppose the Olympic journey kind of, you know, started kind of when I came back from world juniors and, for me personally, I kind of I came back from World Juniors, um, so the tail end of July, start of August, and I was pretty flat uh, just because I didn't quite run as well as I would have liked. I, you know, I kind of thought at the time, you know, just being completely, you know, just I suppose just not that smart of a young kid, real thinking that because I didn't run well at that race, I thought that my athletics career was going to be over. And, you know, I kind of, you know, looking back how narrow minded that I was then, it just, just makes me look like an idiot. But I, uh, I kind of struggled at that time just because I, I just didn't really have any motivation to kind of get going again. And around that time, there was a lot of kids that were just about to start doing, uh, they were about to start doing college in America. And I thought that I'd, you know, ha- start having some conversations with some schools in America. Um, and then that kind of, that kind of conversation which started say September, October, kind of went until January, February. And like I was saying, I was kind of struggling with a bit of motivation. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Uh, and then the Australian season started in what would it have been, you know, kind of started 2015. And I said to mum, who was coaching at the time, I said, look, like, I just, I think I want to go to college. And she was fully supportive of it. Um, right. And then I remember I had this absolute shocking race in February, 2015. And, I said to mum, I was like, nah, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> and uh, she was like, look, like, I just think that that is just a stupid decision. Well, not not necessarily a stupid decision. She goes, I, I just think you've still got a few stones left unturned. What about instead of me coaching you, you either go to a new coach or you go to college in America. And I thought, yep, that was, that was awesome. Uh, so I started speaking to a couple of colleges and then I started to speak to a couple of coaches and, uh, one of the coaches who I'd spoken to, um, who I kind of already had a relationship with because he was giving me some um, some free New Balance gear, was um, a somewhat famous slash notorious bloke called Nick Badeau. And um, pretty much, yeah, from that February, I, I sat down with him and I, um, as soon as I sat down with him, I thought, yeah, wow, there's, there's no other coach who I want to go to. And uh, pretty much, yeah, from that February 2015, I joined... Nick Badeau and his in his group and um, I kind of ran the rest of the Australian domestic season with him. I ran 147. I came fifth at nationals as my in my first senior national championships. I uh, travelled to Europe within that year and also sorry travelled to America and Europe with his training squad. Uh, raced a few times, learned what it was like to be a professional athlete, and then you know kind of from August September 2015 when I came back from Europe. I just said to myself that I'm going to, I'm going to qualify for these Olympics and there's going to be nothing stopping me in the way. And then pretty much from then onwards, training ramped up, um, started to live, eat, train like a professional, uh, went to altitude twice over the summer in Australia. And then, yeah, pretty much from, pretty much from January, February, March and April, I had some of the best training and racing I ever had. I, Ran an Olympic qualifier against uh, around 145 as a 20-year-old against the um, famous David Radisha. I ran 337 in Australia. Um, I, I won the, the Olympic trials, which guaranteed my selection. And then I went overseas, ran the 1500-meter qualifier, won a couple of races, and then that took me up until the Olympics. So, yeah, like I pr- probably glazed over that pretty quickly. But yeah, I think it was. It's weird to think that. I was this, you know, kind of flat down, like pretty upset kid, you know, July, 2014. And then by July, 2016, I was in the Olympic village getting ready to compete at the Olympics. For two events, no less. And two of the events, two of the events that are very hard to, to make. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, I went to the Olympics for two events and I was 21. It was, uh, I don't know. Once, once again, at the time, which I think we'll cover on it, as well is that I was pretty flat at the time, but then I kind of had to take a step back and just be like, hang on a second. I, I went to the event. I went to the Olympics for two events 
at the age of 21 and two of the two in my opinion two of the hard events to qualify for so. i think i think in anyone's boat mate it doesn't matter in in all the sports in all the bloody olympics and ever we respect every sport of course the 800 and the 15 are two of the hardest events if not the hardest to make let alone go well in say in any major championship so it's um you're always going to be up against it so if you make them you deserve it with every inch of your being. Take us back quickly to that Melbourne race, though, because you, you raced brilliantly against Radishu. Um, look, um, if the listeners don't know, um, he is the greatest of all time, the greatest 800 man of all time by some margin. Uh, he comes to Melbourne. He's in reasonable shape. And Luke, he just sits on him. Well, not sits on him. He just takes it right to him. And his, his famous kick uh, was in was in high, uh, high remand there. That was unbelievable, Luke. You take us through that. Yeah, so so like I was saying, I kind of pretty much from the, the when I came back from Europe in 2015, I pretty much because when I left was around the time when the group at the time was preparing for the World Championships in 2015, and I was pretty flat because I, I went to the airport and these guys were literally about to get on a plane to go to Beijing for the World Championships. So I was I was flat as flat as anything because I uh, I just really wanted to be on the on the Australian team, so. I just remember that point I said to myself, I was like, I'm not going to not make a team anymore. I'm, I'm not going to, not that I hadn't, I, I missed out on one senior team my first year being a senior, but I just said that I was going to do whatever I could to try qualify for the next one. Um, so yeah, like I said, I, I trained awesomely, trained, lived, ate like professional for the next six months. And um, I, you know, from, from the, the, I was in Falls Creek for all of January and Pretty much Feb 1st, I um, opened up my Australian season and, and raced all the way to the Olympic trials, say, April 1st. And I remember my first race straight off altitude, I ran 146 and I beat, I pretty much beat every, pretty much beat every athlete who the year before had just flogged me in, in any race possible. So I knew that I was in pretty good shape. And then I ran a 1500 two weeks later and ran 337. And then I ran a mile not long after that and ran 3.56. And I remember thinking, gee, I'm in pretty good shape here. And fortunately enough, there was this, uh, I don't think they, I don't think it's really on anymore, but it was called the Melbourne Track Classic. And um, historically, David Radisha, he comes to Australia every February and March. And one, I think he, he's, he's manager's Australian. He loves Australia, but um, as well as that, he likes to get some early season training in. So he uh, historically does usually the the Melbourne and Sydney track classics. And um, because I was running so well and there was a few people around, it was going to be perfect for myself and a few Australians to hopefully qualify for the Olympics. And so for me, I, I'd raced him twice in the past, but um, for me personally, it was a little bit different this time because, you know, I, instead of just being a bloke who was just filling up, you know, just, just filling up spots on the track, I felt like I was someone that, one could either possibly run a qualifier, but two maybe even beat this guy. Um, because if you're going to beat a David Rodisha in an Olympic year, it's going to be you know pretty early on. It's not going to be in your July or August. Uh, so yeah, I remember le- re- leading up to that race. Uh, I think it was March 5th, 2016. I still it's still perfectly etched in my memory. Uh, I remember like leading up to it. There was articles about me versus him. There was articles about you know, me possibly qualifying. This is in like the Herald Sun and the Age and stuff like that. So I was thinking, gee, this is pretty cool to be reading about myself. Not to mention that <laughs> even though I've got all these articles, I've actually got a race against this bloke. Uh... So it was um, it was a pretty cool lead up. But um, but yeah, I remember didn't really think too much about it just because I was just I was so young and so excited about the season that I was just didn't really have much time to think about it. But I remember on the Thursday before the race. I, uh, I wanted to get just, you know, tactics from my coach. And he's like, what do you want to do, Luke? And I said, oh, you know, I was thinking about maybe just sitting back in third or fourth and, and just seeing how the race folds out. And he just goes, no, 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 no. Your pacemaker is David Radisha. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I was like, all right. So I had to take that in for a couple of days. And then I thought, I just had this weird feeling. And I was like, I don't know, maybe just because I've been reading all these articles, I thought, I don't know, maybe, maybe Nick's, maybe Nick's, you know, made this situation where I beat him or maybe he's, I don't know, maybe he's going to let me go past him or something like that. I don't know. I had this idea in my head that, you know, maybe it was rigged in some way. Anyway, I remember once again, I, my tactic going into the race was, you know, your pacemaker is David Adisha and 
when you're running against the bloke that just front runs 141 for fun, usually that means that you're going to be in for a lot of pain. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I kind of just went out, stuck, uh, stuck on his tail, and uh, the pacemaker jumped out at about – oh, sorry, actually, no. Just before I started warming up, my coach said to me, he goes, Luke, if he's slowing down, go past him because he doesn't like um, – he said he doesn't like when people get up on his shoulder. He might, you know, tense up, might, you know. So I was thinking, shit. I was like, not only do I have to worry about sitting on this guy, I have to worry about possibly going past this guy. And this is <laughs> the best middle distance runner ever. Uh, anyway, see, I didn't, I, I just stood on, I just stayed on his ass for as long as I could. I remember with about oh, 250 to 200 to go, Nick's, uh, you know, kind of voice came in my head and said, if you're slowing down, go past him. So, I got to about 600 metres and I felt like he was slowing down a little bit. And on the top bends, what they do for these big events, they bring the crowd in. So they have like, they have it, they have the crowd roped off in about lane four, as opposed to being outside the gates. And uh, I just remember there being, I, I just still remember me being my family and friends there. And I just thought, fuck it. So I tried to pass him on the bends. I got <laughs> up on his shoulder and then as we got into the straight, he just realized he's like, who's this kid? And just, he was in third gear and just got into fourth or fifth gear and just went off. I was, I was running out of petrol. Um, but then, yeah, I ended up finishing maybe a step or two behind him and uh, won the ran the Olympic qualifier and um, was in front of yeah in front of all my friends, all my family. Got to hug all. My, I got to yeah probably the best. Oh, I'm not going to say the best, but one of the best running experiences I've um, I've ever had. It was yeah, it was absolutely awesome. PB that night in front of 40 or 50 of your best mates from um, where Williamstown, Western Jets, St. Kevin's, footballers everywhere, athletics, obviously your family uh, was everywhere along the track. And like you said, you, you pulled the trigger, you pulled the trigger nice and which was good. And it's, it's a tactic that you've used so well in the past. And unfortunately, D. Radisha had a couple more gears that, uh, he's got more gears than anyone that's ever put on spikes, unfortunately. But that was that was one of the best. So that's still your PB to this day, if I'm not wrong at the moment. Is that right? Yeah, it's my PB. I yeah, it's, I um, I think I've ran. It's just with an 800. I don't know. I just feel like I've never really had the opportunity to run super super quick since. And I've run some good 800s and some great tactical 800s. But yeah, it's still my quickest. But I need to uh, I need to get that down over it's, the next hopefully the next, oh, in the next will. hopefully the next year. You're right about the 800, especially at, look, there isn't that many races around that you can find that the pace is going to be on and you've got to be in Europe at the right time and all those kind of things. So it is not an easy event to, to go 144, even if you wanted to, or 143 high, which no doubt that is in you. Uh, you need that. You need the right race and that's that'll come and that doesn't really matter for now. Like, times don't, you tactics win games and that's what um, you're brilliant at as well, is the tactical nous and the ability to just hold and then kick. Um, tell us about that build up then. Tell us about the Olympic Village. Um, obviously, you, you do love, you do love a good time. How was it after dark at the Olympic Village? And any any of those stories, if if, if they're if they're borderline MA rated, um, how was the build up? How was the build up? I guess to the race, and then take us through the aftermath. The race. Uh, yeah. So, um, oh, uh, I think yeah. In 2016, I turned 21. Uh, June that year and you know 20 for, for a kid to be I suppose a professional athlete or a on the professional circuit when they're only 2021 20, it's just there's just so many new things that you so many new things and experiences that you just you know it's you just don't think that it's like ever going to happen to you so I think for me that year I just um, every race had such an emotional connection had so much emotional and physical energy used and perceived in that whole year and I think for me you know I I pretty much started going 100% from say September 1st 2015 I left no stone unturned I was doing gym as much as I could I was doing you know running more than I should have I was you know racing you know every second week and I think by the time it hit about April or May and I had all these massive highs of you know Olympic qualifiers running um, the Olympic trials, you know, running PBs every second week. Um, I got to about May and I, uh, so, so the, the day after the Olympic trials, which is the national championships, we went to America 
so from April 1st to April 30, I was in America training even harder than I was in Australia. And I think on the, the back of all that, I was just absolutely mentally and physically cooked. And I don't, I think like just reading enough about it, I, I pretty much, the, the way that my body was reacting, it was, it, it was pretty much, I pretty much had like sport induced fatigue. So I was, um, I just ran myself into the ground and uh, I, I was fortunate enough that I, I ran a, I ran a decent 1500 in about on about the 15th of May and I ran 335 and I, I got the Olympic qualifier for the 1500. And I think if I look back at my calendar or back at my training, my training log, pretty much from that race onwards, everything just kind of started to go kaput. Um, I just, yeah, training, training stayed pretty consistent, but all my races, I, I just didn't have that kick like I normally did in the last hundred. I didn't have that, just didn't, couldn't get out as quick. And I, um, we just started to struggle. And I think, um, you know, kind of from that middle of May, June-ish onwards, just a slow decline. And unfortunately I saw the, um, the, the absolute bottom of that at the Olympic championships. And, uh, for me, like I said, I, I think I'm always one that's someone that's dealt with nerves. And I think nerves come on the back of just overthinking and, you know, overanalyzing and, you know, so I was someone that was mentally and physically cooked, overanalyzing everything, whether it was just one singular stride in a, on a, on a session or whether it was uh, a race or whether it was whatever I was eating um, it just, yeah, completely burnt me out. And like I said, I was at the complete bottom of that by the time I got to the village and uh, getting to, on the, you know, I just, I just got to the start line and I was trying to be as falsely positive, positive and confident as I could be, but I just knew deep down that I wasn't going to go too well. So around the 800 came second last in the 800. Uh, and then I ran the 1500 a couple of days later and I came fourth last in my heat. So second last and fourth last in your heats and um you know not long before that the eventual 800 meter gold medalist i finished two steps behind him in a race so kind of saw two absolutely contrasting results and expectations and you know two contrasting i suppose points of that season and uh, unfortunately i saw the you know the bottom and the worst of that fatigue at the olympics um but not to you know not to make the olympics a sour note I think the good thing about it was that uh, being with the 1500, that's the last, the 1500 meter final is the last night of competition. And for me, I wanted to, you know, ideally make the Olympic final. But the good thing is that I had six days to have as much fun as I could. And uh, yeah, I, I still remember my 1500 meter heat was in the morning at about oh, 10 o'clock. I think by one o'clock I had, I probably had, Oh, four quarter pounders, four large fries, 20 nuggets, four large Cokes. And I'll, and then after that, I was in the, I was in the food hall eating pizzas, cakes, lollies, like whatever it might've been. So, um, and then, yeah, that was, that was kind of my routine every day. And then my routine um, after that was I'd go to the track at about six o'clock, watch the night of athletics, watch, you know, watch Usain Bolt, watch, uh, training partners, watch other Australians. And then I'd go straight, I'd get an Uber straight from the track out to Copacabana and then uh, hit the piss from about 12 o'clock till 5am. And then that was my kind of uh, routine for six days straight. That is magnificent. I, I knew we were getting there. That's why I wanted you to just get that out of here. That's yeah. brilliant, buddy. But yeah, the, the, the good thing was, it was, you know, we're getting, getting bloody $1 cocktails, 50 cent beers, and then, um, you know, we'd go to a nice restaurant, get a get a big pizza. We'd go out, go to a club. Yeah, come home. We'd get back into the village, and the the sun was coming up. And then we'd go home, have have breakfast. Of, we'd have another breakfast of pizzas, then go to bed for I don't know three or four hours, and then do it all again. What's but it? the only bad thing was is that um, I I usually raced at about um, I usually raced at about seventy kilos. So sixty nine, seventy kilos is kind of my you know, not, not, not that I try to aim for weight. I just consciously am aware that when I'm racing, well, that's about what I'm at. So I suppose that's kind of my goal weight. Um, but yeah, I raced at 69, 70 kilos and I left the village at 78 kilos. So I put on eight kilos and six, eight kilos <laughs> in six days. So oh, mate. I definitely, um, I think, uh, those bad performances, I just, uh, I just, they pretty much just put on me and weight. <laughs> 
21-year-old fellow in Olympic Village, apart from anything, like that's that's going to happen. And you're that finely tuned that when you're on the piss for six days and uh, obviously all the food as well, it's going to it's gonna go somewhere. But, mate, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself as well because, like, going to Rio as a 21-year-old in Olympic setting with those kind of guys, you've got to have a crack as well. So, um, and that, and then coming back, I know I've heard you talk about this, coming back um, from an Olympic Games, which is the pinnacle of sport, um, you could think in Australia, AFL grand final, you think in America, NFL Super Bowl. But at the end of the day, Olympic Games is the pinnacle of, of sport. doesn't matter where you are in the world, what nation, um, what you what you do for a living. Olympic Games is everything. So you were there for two events. Um, I know you're a bit flat about your performances. Take us through the next 12 months or so, because you obviously with Nick, Nick, but uh, you had a pretty good training group. Um, and I guess you, you would have thrown yourself back into that. So take us for the next 12 months and then uh, I guess coming into the Commonwealth Games in Gold Coast, which would have been good to be back on Australian soil and and um, take us through. I think you had a bit of support in the crowd that night as well, Lukey. Yeah, uh, that was um, – yeah, I think uh, if, I, if, I, if I look back at uh, – you know, July, uh, let's let's call it August 2016, and I, I don't think anyone, myself included, could have predicted what was going to happen over the next 12 months. Um, I, like I said, obviously pretty flat from from the Olympics, and I think I was supposed to that same position that I was kind of July August 2014 after the World Juniors, where I thought, you know, how am I meant to keep going? I'd I just I felt like I just embarrassed myself in front of friends and family everyone watching on channel seven and um yeah that that kind of next three or four weeks after the olympics i was um that's probably the flattest and the, the most down i've ever been probably ever just about in life and um you know i i think i think i if, if i was a little bit more mature i'd definitely deal with it in a little bit in a little bit better but i remember for those few weeks all i did was i pretty much just sat in my bedroom and it's kind of pretty sad to look back and think I literally just sat in my bedroom in a, in, in a dark, dark bedroom. And the only thing, only time I was leaving was to go out and get on, get on the piss on a Saturday. So uh, for the first, for the first month or so after the Olympics, I was yeah absolutely flat. And then um, pretty much AFL grand final weekend, 2016, pretty much the week after that was my, I pretty much came back to training and I kind of decided to get my shit together and um you know started off pretty sly I was, you know i was pretty overweight pretty unfit i was mentally and physically cooked my body was just you know just not that not moving as well as i would like it to so i kind of took the tail end of 2016 and i just kind of rocked up to training and i just you know just went there did the sessions and got through it um and then yeah kind of by the tail end of december uh, into january i started to get a little bit of form going um but I actually got sick all the all of January, and um, I I don't know I don't know how, but I was able to just somehow get my shit together, and I ran a, a handful of times in I ran a handful of races through January, February, March, um, and I was fortunate enough to to win the national championships in in 2017 and defend my national title. Um, but yeah, I think I think the biggest thing for for me in 2017 was probably the decline um, of my relationship with my coach. Um, this is kind of a, a guy that I'd always, I suppose I'd always um, looked up to and admired and highly respected. And, um, you know, I suppose from when, when we went overseas, kind of middle of April, um, you know, we were kind of butting heads every day. And it was, it was not even about, it wasn't even as simple as just, you know, about athletic choices or programming, whatever it might be. It was, I felt like there was just, you know, some personal digs and um, a lot of things that happened, which, you know, I look back and read and just makes me feel sick. And I look back and think, and this is, this is kind of stemmed from issues, uh, uh, stemmed from issues, which I, I don't think he took full responsibility for what happened at the Olympics. I don't think he had responsibility for what happens kind of with, with treat, with my treatment after the Olympics. And then, also the leading into 2017. So I kind of, you know, even though by the time I got over to Europe in about May of 2017 and I was running really well, I was also still dealing with all this other stuff with my coach. Um, but yeah, fortunately enough, I, I kind of made it through the European season. I ran 
I ran 335 twice. I ran 146 for 800. I ran a 354 mile. Um, and I was actually in, you know, really good form leading up to the uh, world championships. And then not sure what it was, but about a month, about a month before the Olymp- a month before the world championships in London that year, um, I just kind of felt like it was almost like um, Groundhog Day. I felt like what was happening to me in 2016 was, you know, exactly the exact same thing was happening to me in 2017. And I did this, uh, you know, I just felt like I was running out of steam, running out of gas again. And I was in a position where, because I had so much going on with my coach, I, I felt like I couldn't really talk about what was going on in my life. Uh, and then about three weeks before the world championships, um, I had my final race in Ireland in a, in a city called Cork. And I had an absolute shocker, like an absolute stinker. My, my PB for 800 is 145. And I think I ran 151 or 152, maybe even slower to be honest. And um, yeah, from there and then I, um, I, I, just because I was so flat, I got, I had a couple of drinks that night with my train, my, my one of my training partners and because we had just been dealing with so much shit from our coach we just said nah we, we can't be here anymore but we just because we're, we were going to training we were going to a training camp in spain the next day so we just said let's get through this spanish training camp let's get through world champs and then after world champs is done we'll um we'll you know kind of see you later get the fuck out of there straight after um but yeah unfortunately slash fortunately Two weeks later, you know, we were kind of butting heads every se- every second day, and I just decided to leave. So, um, kind of, yeah, I suppose it was written about a fair amount of times leading up to World Champs. But um, I think it was a week before World Champs, I left my coach, so wasn't the most ideal preparation. Um, but then, yeah, I ended up going going into World Championships. Ended up having one of my best one of my best performances ever. I won my heat. I just missed out on the final. But mind you, three blo- three or four blokes who've made the final have now got drug drug, uh, drug banned, so should have been in the final. Uh, and then yeah, that kind of I suppose set me up for that kind of took me through to the to August of uh, 2017, and then that was kind of the preparation for the next block, which was going to be the um, the Commonwealth Games. 